Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is Tuesday, July 28th as I speak here. Terrible looking markets. Corn's down about a nickel. Beans are down 12 or 13. Uh, welcome back to the show. I uh, wish I had some better news for you. Thank you for listening. If you have not already subscribed, make sure you go on whichever podcast app you use. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. The podcast is available on just about all of them. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, be made aware when new content is available. If you do have time, I'd really appreciate a review. The, the response so far has been overwhelmingly positive. So thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Tell your friends so I can keep this thing going. I wanted to cover a few news items uh, before I get started here. In the news today, crop ratings. Crop ratings are, are the biggest piece of news that's out there today. Both the, the corn crop and the soybean crop saw improvements in ratings uh, from USDA on Monday afternoon. Both of them saw a 3% bump in the good to excellent category. Both crops now rated 72% good to excellent. And what traders do and what analysts do and, and what a lot of different people do is they have yield models and they'll try to, you know, through the course of the growing season, predict what the corn yield may be nationally or what the soybean yield may be nationally. And the crop ratings are typically a pretty big component of those yield models. And USDA uh, does something kind of similar. So you've got a situation here today where everybody is increasing their yield estimates, even if you haven't heard about it yet. The people who thought the corn yield was going to be 179 or 180, maybe now they think it's going to be 181 or 182. And, and you can say something similar about the soybeans. So I think that that's what's going on here in terms of the uh, weakness in the markets early on Tuesday morning. Of course, things could look entirely different by uh, the time you listen to this. Uh, China has been in the headlines constantly for months and months and months and months. The, uh, the good news is that China's bought a whole bunch of corn, a whole bunch of soybeans. A lot of it's for new crop delivery. So our new crop export book, the uh, commitments that we have for, for the new crop marketing year for both corn and soybeans are some of the best that we've seen in years. And uh, we hope that that continues. We should be competitive, uh, certainly in the case of soybeans, uh, through South American harvest for the most part, which isn't until, you know, February or March. So that, that's a positive sign, but, uh, it seems like like the, the positives are being outweighed by these crop ratings and the idea that we're just going to have some really big yields and big national yield this year uh, for both the corn and soybean crops. The dollar index has made some headlines here. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting, if you were to pull up a, a monthly chart of the dollar index, and I had one in my newsletter this morning. If you were to pull up a monthly chart, we are sitting right on a trend line that's been in place for the last 10 years. The dollar has essentially trended higher since 2010 or 2011, depending on how you read the chart. And if we break out below those support levels uh, this week or this month or whatever, uh, that could be a positive for some of the commodity markets just overall. And you've got you know big big managed money shorts in some of these markets, like the corn market in particular, that could be vulnerable to a little bit of short covering. I'm not going to necessarily get too excited about that yet. We've got some some really nasty looking fundamentals in corn, but certainly something to keep uh, in the back of your head. 
Fund traders, again, they've been net short the corn market for 49 consecutive weeks. Um, it's it's a, been a record amount of time since they've been long. And and it all goes back to this this COVID thing and the, the massive demand destruction that we saw via ethanol, which is the, the biggest portion of our demand base. That's 40% of your demand for U.S. corn. We saw massive demand loss there. And, and we're building it back up. We are. But now you've got, you know, a lot of people want to see additional shutdowns and closures to prevent the spread of this virus and and it doesn't matter your opinion on the virus that's what people want and it may happen in in some areas and that's not a positive so that this this virus thing just won't go away and it's been a chronic negative for the corn market really dating back to february my conversation today is called don't be a trader and uh what i'm talking about specifically are commodity traders people who trade the commodity markets do you know what most speculative traders do in commodity markets? What most of them do? I'll tell you what most of them do. Most speculative commodity traders go broke. That's what most of them do. Um, it's it's the vast majority. I'd say that of all the people who attempt to become professional commodity traders and, and trade commodities as a career, maybe one to two percent of them are ultimately successful over the course of of multiple decades or over the course of the, of a career. Um, a lot of people get involved in the business, and and I'm not talking about dumb people or average people. I'm talking about well educated, extremely intelligent people, people with backgrounds in mathematics, economics, all those sort of things. Um, a lot of these people get into the business. They they can't make money or uh, or not they're not successful immediately off the bat other people may be successful for a couple of years and and eventually they fail uh, some people could be successful for a decade or two and eventually they fail but it's it's a very tiny percentage of people that can actually be successful as a speculative commodity trader and you've got different sorts of people who are speculators you know the the people who traded their own money on the floor of the board of trade we used to call them locals and uh, a lot of those people were, were successful but there were probably a, a ton more who who attempted to to do just that and and were not successful. You've got hedge funds, you've got prop shops, you've got all sorts of different sorts of of speculative traders. You've got uh, independent traders now who you know used to be locals and now they're trading on computer screens all across the country or or around the world even. But th- th- what I'm trying to say here is that a very tiny percentage of these people are successful uh, over the course of, of any amount of time. Uh, before I moved. To Tennessee, I worked at the Chicago Board of Trade or or around the Chicago Board of Trade for a good thirteen years, and um, you know, I I met uh, I never worked on the floor because when I started in two thousand five, I was told that the floor was going away and I should put my efforts elsewhere, and that's what I did. I, I think that ended up being an okay decision, but uh, in any case, I knew a lot of people who were uh, who got into the trading business. They wanted to be professional traders. They wanted to be speculators. They wanted to run hedge funds. They wanted to run computer. Uh, trading type operations and uh, I knew a lot of people who failed at it and and a few who were very successful and continue to be successful but that's not the rule that's that's the exception the people who maintain success over a, a long period of time they are the exception uh, to the rule certainly and uh, it's 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 a very difficult thing to do you've got to remember that commodity trading is a lot different than trading in in some other markets. Um, commodity trading is a zero sum game. That's what they teach you when you first learn about futures and options. And, and what does that mean? It means that for you as a speculator to make money in the commodity markets, 
for you to make a dollar, somebody else has to lose a dollar. This isn't like, say, uh, we all bought Amazon stock when it was 100 bucks and we all held on to it and the company made a ton of money and we all made money. It, it doesn't work like that. For you to make a dollar, somebody else has to lose a dollar in this market. So what you're doing essentially when you're a speculator is you are competing. You are competing with some of the smartest most well-funded, well-capitalized people in the entire world. You are in direct competition with them. And these are people who, again, extremely intelligent, well-funded backgrounds in science, math, uh, quantitative type stuff. Um, They have dedicated their entire professional careers or lives to uh, making money in these commodity markets. And these are the sort of people that you are uh, in direct competition with. And that's why it's so difficult. It's, it's, it's a competition and it's incredibly difficult. And, um, for most of us out there, and I would put most of, of the farmers I know in this category, and I include myself in this category, we're not well-funded enough. Um, we don't have the technology. Um, we don't have the ability to compete in these markets on a consistent basis. Does that mean that you can't make money in a trade from time to time? No, you you can certainly do that. But I think that most farmers, most people who are listening to this podcast, in my estimation, 99% of you have no business trading. Um, There's maybe a very, very small minority, maybe it's like I said, one or 2% that could actually trade these these markets as speculators and be successful over a long period of time. Um, So I I always kind of go with this idea. If you're a farmer, this is kind of the mindset to have here. Every year you enter uh, the growing season with an enormous long position in the physical market. You are long an enormous amount of corn or soybeans or wheat, whatever crop you're growing. The goal should be for you to sell or exit that long position as effectively as possible. And that's it. It, it shouldn't be to trade or sell the crop once and then buy it back and then sell it or buy it once or sell it and reown it. Or most of that stuff is, is very, very difficult to do because once you get into the trading side, once you're trying to get too fancy with this stuff, you begin to get, you begin to compete with those people that I talked about, the smartest, most well-funded, most well-capitalized people. You don't want to be in direct competition with those people. They'll take your money. They will. That's that's what happens in the vast majority of situations when you try to get too cute with this stuff. So your goal as a farmer should be to grow the crop and then exit that long position, exit that cash position in the most effective way possible. So this all comes back to the same thing that I, I tell you on every podcast, which is that you really need to simplify your grain marketing. Now, you could make the argument, and, and maybe somebody would, that oh, farmers are traders because they've got a long position and they've got to sell it, so they're trading. I guess I can subscribe to that. By some definition, yeah, I, I guess you're a trader. Uh, what I don't think you should do is is trade your crop and and buy futures and sell futures and try to make money speculating on the crop. I don't think that that's what you want to do. I think you should have one goal, one very simple goal, which is to take your physical length your your physical long position in the corn market, the soybean market, the wheat market, whatever it is, and exit that length in the best way possible, in the most effective and simplest way possible. I've talked before about how you could just be a cash seller in these markets and be effective, and I very much believe that to be true. If you want to use futures or options as a tool to help you offset risk and protect downside risk, uh, that's that's fine. But 
you don't need to be trading this stuff a whole lot. You you really want to keep yourself out of the direct competition with these people who, again, are extremely intelligent, extremely well-funded, um, tons of experience. They've dedicated their entire professional life to, to trying to trade these markets to make money. You, you want to stay out of competition with those people. And that's hard to do. I, you, you're going to say right now, oh, well, we're in competition with the funds and the funds are short and making money and we're long here losing money. And this has been a very difficult year. I understand that. But in general, you want to stay away from the speculative side of this. I think that grain marketing too often is turned into a trading affair rather than a marketing affair. I think there are too many grain marketing outfits or advisors or brokers or whoever who want to turn your grain marketing into a futures options trading endeavor. And uh, that's not where you want to be. You don't need to be trading futures or options every day of the week in order to be an effective grain marketer. I think that that's, that's what puts you too close to that speculative territory where you're getting to be in direct competition with these uh, big funds and uh, people like that who have a lot of money and a lot of experience and they can uh, hold these positions longer than you can. You want to avoid that. So th- this all comes back to the idea that grain marketing should be simplified. Are futures a good tool? Sure, they are. Great tool. You got to know how to use them, use them effectively, and and don't get too speculative in nature with them. If you're using futures in, in the vast majority of situations, you want to be offsetting some sort of length in the cash market. If you're using options, same deal. Don't get too fancy. Um you can take a simple put strategy or, or put versus call strategy and and turn it into an effective hedge against your cash production or your cash bushels. But you really don't need to make it any fancier than that. And I just feel like in, in this industry, we have too many people in the futures and options business and in the grain marketing business in particular. You've got a lot of, of firms or people out there who you know, advertise themselves as grain marketers, but they're not grain marketers. They're, they're, they want you to trade futures and options because that's how they make their money. And and I'm a broker, full disclosure. I'm a broker. I've been a broker for years, but I, I also understand that to be an effective grain marketer, um, over trading the crop, uh, using futures or options is, is going to be a losing endeavor over the course of time. Now, again, will you have winning trades here and there? Sure. You will. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to lose every time out, but I just, I don't think you need to be competing uh, against these large speculators, um, on a daily basis. I don't think you need to be over trading. I think the grain marketing can be very simple. Just keep that goal in mind. You enter the year with a ton of length. You've got this big physical long. Your goal is to exit that physical long, as effectively as possible, profitably, <laughs> profitably if if possible, which I know this year has been uh, uh, not quite the reality um, <clears throat> just yet. We hope it turns into that. But uh, that was the point I wanted to make today. I wanted to tell you a little bit about um, the the world of commodity trading and and why uh, most of uh, most of you out there, and I'm not saying everybody, but most of you out there, and I'll put myself in this category too. Uh, we don't have any business uh, speculating in the commodity markets. We should really st- steer clear of that. Focus on the task at hand. The task at hand is to be a good grain marketer, make your operation profitable, exit that big length that you enter the growing season with every single year as effectively as possible. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you'd like some more information, if you would like to know how I'm marketing grain throughout the year, uh, take a serious look at my subscription service. Go to standardgrain.com, click on grain marketing plan, uh, $49 a month. I'll let you know when, how, and specifically I'm pricing corn, soybeans, and wheat throughout the year. And these are, are basically cash sales, uh, 
recommendations, cash, cash advice that I'm, uh, advising. And, and every once in a while, I'll tell you if I'm doing something with options, uh, it doesn't happen very often. Most of the stuff is just, you know, I'm selling 10% of, of this crop for this marketing year, uh, today at this price and, and we'll build up. And I kind of give you a report card every single day of where I'm at. Um, customers who have signed up have, have enjoyed it, I think. Uh, so certainly check that out and, and shoot me an email or call me if you have any questions. Just go to my website, all my contact info. Everyone have a great day. I'll catch you later in the week. Well, I saw.